This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I've talked before on here about how much I love going to Rome. I think anyone who's been could probably agree with that basic sentiment. I had the chance to study there in the fall of 2008, visit again in the summer of 2013, and then spend a week, the last time I was there, in March of 2018 for the pre-synod gathering of youth and young adults. And there's something profound about being Catholic in Rome, about feeling connected to the home that is the Roman Catholic Church in the place where the church is is rooted, is grounded, the the St. Peter's Basilica that you can wander through to pray and attend Mass, the various holy churches throughout the city where this or that saint is buried or this or that relic is available for veneration, to truly feel the church come to life while you're there. And there's something really remarkable about not just feeling at home at the church in Rome, but even hearing the stories of the church in Rome, of Catholics, of Italian Catholics living, working, striving to live their faith day by day in the city of Rome, in the country of Italy in general. And I wanted to get some perspective about this. And so today's guest, Mountain Baturak, or the Catholic Traveler, as he's known online, shares with us his story of, of how he brings people on pilgrimage throughout Rome and Italy and Europe in general, and what he's seen of the church there, and why pilgrimages, why going to Rome, why spending time there in worship and prayer and sightseeing even, gives one a bigger understanding of the church. Of course, this is the entire conversation we've been having, Ave explores Catholicism around the world. And for this final episode of the season, we're going to the heart of the church and looking at how folks from around the world arriving at Rome, being there in St. Peter's Basilica or wherever they happen to be in the city, really feel that bigness, that universality, and yet at the same time, the communion of the Roman Catholic Church. You can find all of the content we're creating for this series and more over at AveMariaPress.com. Click on the top free resources. You'll find the articles, the videos, other podcast episodes, excellent content that we're creating just for you. But for now, I hope you sit back and enjoy this conversation with the Catholic traveler, Mountain Baturak, about the church in Rome. Well, Mountain, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds good. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, so, Mountain, thanks for joining us for Ave Explores. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about where you are. I know you are currently sitting in the Roman sunshine, I can tell, coming in from the outside. Uh, tell us who you are, where you are, and and if I bumped into you in an elevator, what would I learn about you in those first few moments? Okay, well, uh, I'm originally from Atlanta, um, but about 16 years ago, I started a Catholic travel company, and... So for the first several years, I was bringing groups from the U.S., mostly to Rome, but other places as well. And you know, I had two young daughters, and so I was gone a lot. Um, sometimes a couple times a month, I would be flying over to Italy. And so my wife and I, we started thinking, like, maybe we should move and go somewhere else. And we just kind of thought, like, oh, why don't we just go to Italy? Because I'm always there anyway. And it, I mean, it wasn't easy. We had a lot of paperwork and all that, but to figure that out. Yeah. And then, so just over seven years ago, we moved to Rome. And so now this is our home. This is where our daughters are growing up. And it makes my life a lot easier for work because 
rather than being away from home for two weeks at a time, sometimes four weeks at a time. Um, when my groups come into town, if they're in Rome, they stay at a hotel down the street from me. I can come home at night. And then if we go like to a CC or something, I'm just gone for a few days. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's why I am where I am right now. Yeah. So what was the what was the dream? You you woke up one day and said, "I want to bring people on pilgrimages." Like, why a travel company? Well, I I grew up in the music industry. Um, both my parents worked in the music industry. So I worked at a record store when I was young, and then I started working at a record label. And then I loved that. That's a great job for like a teenager, early 20-something person to have. Um, And then I kind of got to my, I had my dream moment in that job. And I was like, nothing is ever going to top this. And a few months prior to that, I had visited Italy for the very first time um, it was a friend of mine, a priest who went to school here, and he was coming over to see some of his friends ordained as deacons. He invited me to come along, and I just fell in love with it. Like, I had no desire to travel before that. And so I was leaving the music industry behind, but I wanted to focus on travel. And so I bought a one-way ticket to Italy, and I left pretty much the next day after I quit my job. And I stayed here till I ran out of money, and then I went <laughs> because obviously I didn't have any more money and I was with my parents at the time and it's any opportunity I had to travel I would do that but not only that but anytime I saw like a cheap flight to Paris for example I'd remember like oh I had this friend in high school that always wanted to go to Paris and so I'd say hey you know you should go to Paris it's really cheap you should stay here you should eat at this restaurant and so I started planning trips for people even if I wasn't going on them and mm-hmm. I was like, there's really something to this. I really get a lot out of it, a lot of joy. And so I decided, like, I didn't want to be a travel agent. I wanted to focus on travel, but combine that with my other love, which was my faith, Catholic faith. And so I was like, maybe I should just do a pilgrimage. I'd never gone on a pilgrimage, an organized trip, anything like that. But I just decided that's what I was going to do. And so I went to my parish priest and I said, hey, can I put together a pilgrimage? And he was like, have you ever done anything like that before? I was like, no. He was like, all right. <laughs> and so we started advertising this pilgrimage at our parish. And um, in Atlanta, we had just gotten Archbishop Gregory, who's now Cardinal in D.C., but he was just assigned to Atlanta. And so he was going to be coming over for his pallium. Um, so anytime an Archbishop, mm-hmm. anytime a person's named Archbishop, he comes to Rome for the pallium. And so that's what the whole premise of that trip was, was to go see the new archbishop received his pallium and we had 28 people sign up. And, and then after that, uh, I've, I've now done 127 pilgrimages, I think. So just the, wow. in those 15, 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you got bit by the bug. I mean, you loved bringing people as a Catholic. Yeah. What do you think the value is uh, in, in going on a pilgrimage, whether it's to Rome itself, to to Spain, to France, I mean, even just pilgrimages within the states to go to these holy sites, what what do you think that does to someone's faith? Well, it's it's much deeper than a trip or traveling. Um, so when we're on a pilgrimage, we're kind of on a purpose, whether we're looking for something or going to give thanks for something or just going to explore our faith through travel. Um, so there's like, there's a deep meaning behind it. And every person is different. Like some people might go on a pilgrimage and it does nothing for them at the time. It's just, you know, it's fun. 
good food, good wine, gelato, things like that. And then they get home and maybe a month, a year goes by and then they hear a reading at church and they're like, oh, I was in that spot. I know that place mm-hmm. um, or a letter to the Hebrews or something. And you're like, oh, I'll put that in, in Rome. Like that happened in Rome. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a, a deeper way to travel, travel with meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I brought a young, a, a group, it was nine of us, or nine teenagers, two adults, so 11 of us uh, to Rome for their senior trip. And we went to mass every day. We found a different church the, and the, the teens just kept saying over and over again, like, this is so much better than going on a cruise or going to Mexico. Like this, this gave us a chance to really see the church come alive, especially in Rome, especially in the eternal city. You know, you've moved there. You obviously know the American church very well. What's been your experience of, of the Roman church, not just like the Roman Catholic church, but you get to go to the Vatican anytime you want. What, what has that taught you? What have you seen? What have you learned? Well, a lot of people say like the church in Rome is dead. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but if you visit Rome, we have a thousand churches here and they're not all packed because obviously there's Mm -hmm. six churches on one block, you know, you can't fill them all up. Um, But I see the church really alive here. And it might be because like I said, I have kids. And so the church that um, our kids belong to, like they, we go to different churches. It's kind of crazy. You know, it should be like mm-hmm. a family thing, but our kids go to different masses. Sometimes I go to a Latin mass. My wife goes to an English mass all on Sunday. So that's kind of the opposite of America where everybody goes to mass as a family. <laughs> um, yeah. But the church where the kids go, they're involved in scouts. And so they're, it's just, the church is packed. They have like seven, eight masses on Sunday. Every one of them is packed. Lots of kids, very active. And so I see that side of things here with the church actually growing. There's, I think there's 13 priests at that church, like parish priests. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I see it differently than just the typical tourist that's here and only sees the churches that are right around like ancient Rome or something that only have one or two masses a day. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely see a lot of things active in the church here. And it gives me a, a deeper appreciation for our universal faith to see that. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the whole point of this series. We're looking at when I leave my own zip code and see the church somewhere else, even if it's just in another city, but especially when it's another country that gives me that deeper appreciation of the universality. I I studied in Rome in college and it was awesome because I I always knew where we were in the mass, even if I didn't know Italian. I always felt that that deep appreciation of like the Papa's right there. Like I can go pray Mm -hmm. with the Pope on Sunday at the Angelus. You know, Italy was very hard hit by COVID in the, in the early days, things shut down. What did you notice was happening within the church? What was happening with, with people's faith? Uh, I followed a lot of your Twitter stories about this. Um, I remember the the post of yours where like the grass was growing in St. Peter's square (laughs) between the cobblestones. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, we're coming up on the year anniversary of all of this about the past year with COVID and the church in Rome specifically. It, it, it was hard. Um, you know, when it first hit, it was up in the north, like the Milan area. And so a lot of people in Rome, we thought mm-hmm. we were going to be fine. Um, I'm friends with a lot of tour guides that are here. And they're like, oh, it's not going to come down here. And I felt the same way. I, I don't know if you saw the video I did right before lockdown, like maybe a week before lockdown, that was um, Rome's open for business. 
Mm-hmm. Which is kind yep. of funny. Like we went to all the sites and said that yeah, Rome is open for business. And then like a week later, it was most definitely not open for business. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of it came really quickly, but also slowly at the same time, if that makes sense. Like one mm-hmm. day they were like mm-hmm. communion only in the hand, um, no holy water, no sign of peace. And churches are kind of slow to adopt that um, kind of over a few days. And then no more public masses. And that that hurt, like just being mm-hmm. in Rome and hearing like no public mass. Um, and then there was the day that they shut the churches down. They're like, all right, churches are completely closed. And that only lasted for about 12 hours, thankfully. Mm-hmm. So as you know, like yeah. <laughs> a lot of churches close down for lunch, the reposo. So they close between 12 and 4. And so it was during that time where it was announced that the churches would be closed but by the morning, the Pope had said, no, you're going to open the churches. And so all the mm-hmm. churches reopened. So it was really just like they were closed for like those three hours. But that, I was devastated. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I understood, you know, that you can't have these large gatherings and closed spaces and all. But it just, it was painful to be like in Rome and no access to church. And then yeah. as time went on, um, so public mass was not going on for about 55 days. But if you were in a church when mass began, they would just close the doors. And the first time Mm. I realized that, it felt like, I felt like, I don't I cried. (laughs) You hacked the system, yeah. (laughs) It wasn't even hacking the system, just knowing that, because we felt so like left behind or lost that... Mm -hmm. We didn't have access to the sacraments. And even though the churches were still open, we were only allowed to go 100 meters from home unless we were going to the grocery store. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I have seven churches within like a two-minute walk, but they're all just over 100 meters away. And so Mm -hmm. I had to like sneak to the church. felt very like underground. Um, And so I was able to go to the churches and pray in the churches, and that felt good. But then the one day when they closed the doors and the priest came out and celebrated Mass, I was like, oh, all these weeks the faithful have been able to go to mass if they were in the right place at the right time. And so mm-hmm. that felt really good. And then when the Pope did his blessing, remember the blessing he did in the rain? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That it felt like the clouds parted and the sun was shining down, even though it was pouring that night. Um, <laughs> just to see that he went out to visit the icon of Mary that has been, mm-hmm. you know, it survived a lot of plagues and the, the miraculous crucifix that was helpful in plagues. So although the church felt very hopeless for a little while, it was nice to know that things were going on. And then once the quarantine completely lifted, I went, the first place I went was St. Mary Major, which is about two mm-hmm. miles from my home. Um, and then I found out that every single day of the quarantine, they would have a mass in the church. They would process the blessed sacrament to the front door and do a blessing over the piazza there. Then they would process all the way oh, to wow. the back of the church, and there's another back door there, another little piazza, and they would do a blessing there. And so that felt really good, wow. too, to know that yeah. even though most of us couldn't get the church, couldn't receive communion and all that, that there were still people doing these acts of faith and these blessings. Yeah. So... I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Mount Batorak, the Catholic traveler, about Rome, about the faith coming to life in Rome, 
You can find all of the content we're creating for this Ave Explorer series, the videos, the podcasts, other episodes, articles, all the stuff that we've made just for you over at AveMariaPress.com. I hope you sign up so that you can find all of the stuff we've made, so that you can get in on the conversation, so that you can see what we have coming up next. All right, back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I didn't know that. That's great comfort to know. Obviously I watched the Pope's, um, the blessing and right. was, I think one of the highlights of 2020 was getting to see that and sitting in my living room and thinking, Oh, this will be done in a few weeks. And then here we are a year later oh my and it's only just now <laughs> kind of coming to the end. I don't think anybody expected that mountain. You have the chance to bring people for the first time to see these holy sites, whether it's uh, Santa Croce to, to, you know, look at these incredible things from the crucifixion or the the grave of a of a favorite saint. Uh, I remember bringing my dad to Rome for the first time. So they visited me at the end of my semester, and we walked into a church, and it was uh, John Paul the Second, not John Paul the uh, Second, John the Baptist's skull. That's oh, yeah. what they say it is. <laughs> right. And he was like, "Oh my gosh, that's a that's a head. Like that's a what have you seen happen?" I mean, you made the comment, like, sometimes it doesn't affect people, but what have you seen happen? Maybe any glory stories of these moments where you get to see the universal church up close, where you've gone to a, a whole, essentially, I mean, the eternal city, but almost like this otherworldly Catholic experience uh, that keeps you kind of committed to doing this for people. Yeah, it, for me, it's all about the people. Like, that's the joy I get out of my pilgrimages. Like, I see the Pope all the time. Um, it's still it's still awesome to be able to see the Holy Father anytime. But when the Pope comes out and I have people with me, I'm looking at them. Well, I always have my mm -hmm. camera on the Pope because I have to share that with everybody else. But I'm looking at my people to see their reaction, to see their tears. And because a lot of people don't expect to be that moved when the Pope drives mm -hmm. by, they think, oh, it's going to be cool. But then people like start crying. Like, yeah. oh, this is the successor. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Or when I take people to St. Peter's, I usually, I walk in first and then I turn around to see their eyes when they see St. Peter's for the first time. Um, so those are powerful moments, but a, a few that stand out, I've had quite a few people convert. So I get a lot of plus ones on my pilgrimages, like maybe their spouse is Catholic or something. And the place that usually happens is on the Scala Santa. So the Holy Stairs, mm -hmm. these are the stairs that were in Jerusalem that Christ climbed when he was condemned to death. They were brought to Rome by Queen Helena, now St. Helena. Um, and so these stairs, you go up on your knees. And it's it's painful, I mean, because the wood is kind of buckled and it, it hurts going into your shins and your knees. So a lot of people are like, ah, I'm not going to do it. Or then they see it and they're like, oh, well, Christ knew what he was going to be going through later that day. So I think I can do this. And so a lot of people have powerful experiences there. So I've had people get to the top of the stairs and then turn around and tell their friend or their spouse or me that um, either they've been away from the church for a while, they want to go to confession right away. So there's actually confessionals there for that reason. They used to have an exorcist on site because that's how powerful wow. the stairs are. He died. They haven't replaced him. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so people want to go to confession right away. Some people want to receive communion that haven't been receiving communion for years, go to confession first and then do that. And then, yeah, quite a few people have said that that moment going on the, up those stairs is what led them to then when they got home, join RCIA and become wow. Catholic. Um, I did, there's another cool story that I have. There was a guy, he was a pharmacist on one of my trips. And he kind of told a few of us near the beginning that he, he was thinking of becoming a priest, but he was looking for a sign. And 
the the sign he wanted was if he ran into his bishop on our pilgrimage, that he would know that he was being called to be a priest. And so our very, very specific, first, yeah, very specific. Our very first meal, we sat down at this restaurant called Scarpone, and we're bringing out our food. And then another couple of people came in, sat behind us, and it was Cardinal Burke, who was his bishop. <laughs> and he <laughs> was like, "All right, that was too easy." And then he said, "If I meet." Pope Benedict, this was back during Benedict. If I meet Pope Benedict, then I know I'm being called to be a priest. And he only told a couple of people that. And then, so we went to the audience a couple of days later and Pope Benedict drives by and he didn't meet him. So he looked kind of sad, like, well, I guess I wasn't being called to be a priest. Then a couple of days later, I found out that there was a concert in the Paul VI Auditorium. There was like once a year, there's a concert for the Pope. And I was able to get his tickets. And so he took one of the tickets, went to the concert. And on the aisle, when you, that's when the Pope comes down the center aisle to go to his seat. So everybody's like standing up. It's kind of like a papal audience, except the Pope walks in. And the Pope walked in, went straight up to this guy and like grabbed his hands, like looked him in the eye, grabbed wow. his hands. And then of course, this guy was in tears, but he's like, if I meet the Pope one more time, I know I'm being called to be first. <laughs> He's very difficult. So then at the end, the Pope walked out. Again, he walked right up to him and grabbed his hands and looked wow. him in the eyes. And wow. so now that guy's a priest. He was just ordained. That's uh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so awesome. Like I mean, that's, that, that's the I mean, power. The, yeah. yeah. It's the power. So, and obviously like I had nothing to do with that, but just the fact that I was kind of involved, like I got the tickets, mm -hmm. like it's... It means a lot. Yeah. I think so. I mean, it shows the the power of not just like beginning to go see the church up close and personal in the eternal city in Rome, which you're telling us is very much alive and active, but even just as an encouragement to people to to leave when we can again, <laughs> to leave our countries, right. to, to be willing to go see the church around the world. How can we learn out more, uh, learn more about what you're doing, uh, follow you? I know you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, well, my website's thecatholictraveler.com. I do group pilgrimages. I also do day pilgrimages of Rome. Um, so normal times, I do about 400 of those a day or a year, not a day. Um, so they're like, they're <laughs> so like, wow, busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> they're like three hour tours where I just, I only focus on the churches, not the Colosseum or the museums. Yeah. Um, and so those, for some reason, there's not a lot of people that show people the churches of Rome. Um, and yeah. And so I started a podcast with a friend of mine in Nashville, Joan Watson, and right now we're doing it daily through Lent. Um, we're covering the station churches. And so every yeah, day we talk yeah. about a different church in Rome. And that's been a lot of fun because the station churches, did you live here during Lent? Did you go to the station churches? No, I was, I was a fall roamer, oh, okay. um, but I know the story. Tell us a little bit about it though. Yeah. So these are, um, it was started long ago. Gregory the Great is the one that kind of established the order of the churches, the first 25 and what he wanted was he wanted to visit a different part of Rome every day and celebrate the sacraments with the locals. And so that went on for a long time. Even to this day, the Pope goes to the very first church, which is Santa Sabina. That's where he distributes his um, And so now it's expanded to there's 40 churches. A couple of them are repeated throughout Lent. And... Yeah, it's just a way to honor the martyrs because pretty much every church is over the home of a martyr or where something happened mm -hmm. or the tomb of a martyr. 
And 25 of the 40 are the very first 25 churches in Rome. And these are churches that a lot of people don't visit. Um, and so it's just, mm -hmm. it's an amazing experience. And the North American College, the seminary here, they go, well, not now, it's, it's not allowed for them, but usually most years they go at 7 a.m. and they celebrate mass. And that's an amazing experience for anyone traveling to Rome during Lent because you have all the seminarians, like hundreds of them, and all the priests that are studying here, they usually, not usually, but oftentimes have like a bishop or a cardinal celebrate the mass, but it's all in English. And so mm -hmm. you're getting to see like all these English speakers and it's like this big community that maybe you didn't even realize was here. You get used to seeing not just seminarians, but all the other Americans that are here. And it's just, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to have like, yeah. um, to be able to be yeah. all around these other people. Yeah, that sounds super encouraging to to make that on my put that on my bucket list. I'm sure listeners will want to do it as well. What's the name of the podcast and how can we follow you? Uh it's the Catholic Traveler Podcast. And then I'm the Catholic Traveler cool. on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. So yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll link all that in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. I hope the the rest of your Roman day is uh dinner time is good and, and the weather stays nice. Thanks, Mountain. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Mountain has an excellent social media presence that I would highly encourage you to check out. You can follow him at The Catholic Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. Find his podcast linked down in the show notes. He's got some great things to share, some awesome things that he is posting about life in Italy, about the church in Italy, about going on pilgrimage, even virtually because of COVID right now. You know, he said something really profound, and it's that when you go on a pilgrimage and you are struck by where you are, whether that's in Rome or even just a pilgrimage that you might make in your home country, there's something profound about seeing the church in a different spot. And that's really what we've been trying to talk about this entire series. The church where I'm from, the church where you're from, the church where we get to see what's happening there. Hearing the stories of the church in Samoa and in India and in Africa, what it's like to come to the United States of America from Mexico, even just the church currently in the United States of America. All of these conversations we've had on this season of the podcast, you can find all of that we've created for you wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Of course, also everything is available on AveMariaPress.com, but really trying to highlight this idea that as we look at the church universally, we end up appreciating the church more locally. That as we think about the church elsewhere, we begin to think of and love the church where we are here. And so I hope that this entire series, the conversations that we've had, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, that all of it kind of comes together to paint this picture of the beauty of the universality of the church and excites your faith in a very particular and personal way. Our next series on Ave Explorers is all about faith and science. How do those two things intersect, connect, play nice even? How we can allow our faith to inform our scientific pursuits, how scientific pursuits are not divorced from faith. Those conversations and more will begin in mid-April, so I would encourage you to sign up for all of those Ave Explorers updates. Subscribe to the content over at AveMariaPress.com. As always, we're grateful that you joined us for this series. We hope that you stick around for the next series. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on this podcast and follow us on Instagram at AveMariaPress.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye.